You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, Taylor Jacobs, just hanging out in the beautiful 70 degrees. It's great. It's, it's balmy, great. actually. It's a little yeah. too balmy. Yeah. No, no worries about snow here. No worries about travel plans. Not indoors here specifically. Some people are dealing with that because, Couldn't hey, by be the way, us. yeah, no. Yeah. Seattle going to Green Bay, going to Lambeau Field this weekend for the divisional round of the playoffs, a place they were not at a year ago, and it feels good. It feels great, and it feels like we're going to be ramping it up even further. Like It, it feels like with each round – it gets more and more intense, and obviously there's more and more at stake. But, like, yesterday in the sports pit, I think it was, like, Stacey Ross and myself and Brandon Gustafson of 710sports.com, we were all talking about, like, what it would be like if the Seahawks were hosting the NFC Championship game next Sunday. Dare to Seattle, dream. Which is a possibility. Like, you, you think we're on edge now. Like, next week would be even crazier. But we'd still got to beat care the Packers in order to have that possibility. Yeah, and we're we're the last show. We're the last line of defense before the Hawks take on the Packers. So For we're the, the night's week watch. In a row. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In yep. the morning. We're our, the morning watch. Our watch has not ended. No. So. Game doesn't happen until we get our say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we will be talking about the divisional round, this matchup between Green Bay and Seattle all morning. It is provided some of the highest and lowest moments of the Pete Carroll Russell Wilson tenure. And we're going to discuss rivalries in general. Like, this is a rivalry that was almost created unintentionally because it's not as if these two teams meet up that frequently. But just the absurdity in how some of these games have ended, I think, have lent itself to just the history, the story, that's the narrative that's been written over the past decade. Yeah, two of the most memorable games between these teams ended on a the final play of the <laughs> game. You had the fail Mary back in 2012. And then you have the 2014 NFC Championship game. Russell Wilson throwing four picks. Seahawks coming back from 16-0 in the second half. You have the John Ryan fake field goal. The you know the Luke onside Wilson, kick. yeah, the onside kick. Uh, the Luke Wilson two point conversion. It just craziness happens when these two teams get together, and uh, I mean it, it beats the heck out of you know it beats the heck out of sitting back and, and you know commiserating over losing to like the Eagles when they had Josh McCown in and you look at the Packers right now and and we're going to talk about it later today just kind of do we buy in which which team has gotten here and which one is the most like sure bet like Mm -hmm. which one of these two teams do you think is the more real of the two yeah they've both been accused of being pretenders yeah so I mean why why not put it to the test it's a good point yeah no it's just if you look on the other side, though, they're like you mentioned the four interception game, the five interception game That's that right. he had against mm-hmm. Green Bay. Um, there are just there are times on both sides where it feels like they've truly butt heads and been at an equal playing field, so that they, it's come down to the final plays in a, in a couple of these games. And they're not natural rivals, but they have become rivals because of what's happened on the field and. Many people have mentioned that they're probably the two most successful NFC teams of this decade, uh, the Packers and the Seahawks, and the winner of this may essentially take the crown of the, the best team of the decade. And now look, there's still the Patriots on the other side in the AFC, and they're the best team of the decade unquestioned, but... 
to be the best team in your conference, to be the best team in the NFC, I don't think that's anything to be disappointed about. And to, to think about that to where the Seahawks were and have been in their history, I think is quite an accomplishment. And Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, too, unintentionally have created somewhat of a, I don't know if they're nemesises or what you would call them. Yeah, what would because you say? Nemesi? Nemesis? Yeah, <laughs> Nemesis? I think... Aaron Rodgers kind of feels like the big brother in all this because he was first on the block. He got his Super Bowl title before Russell Wilson even came around. And then it's kind of, who's, who's this new guy around here? The conference has been mine. Like, there's been no challengers to my throne. Maybe Drew Brees also, you could put him in there. But, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, he's a, he's a, he's a fickle guy. I don't he's, know if we should make complex. any fa- family comparisons with him, too. Because, Ooh. yeah, so I'd, no, like, no, that's no. a rough area for yeah. him, too. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and I think uh, Russ... They, their personalities are so opposite. They've both found a great amount of success despite that, and they've both always been in that conversation of when people are naming their top five QBs, their top three QBs. And maybe they have sort of, I don't know, well, Rodgers clearly has resented Russell because he's taken shots at him as openly as you do take shots about his faith, uh, saying God was a Packers fan tonight, or just over the years, I think he's taken a few shots and digs at Russ. Meanwhile, Russ is never going to respond to no. that because that's no. not his personality type. But I have to believe that he's had some of his worst games against them. He's heard those comments. Russ hears things. I think that he's not going to let that that be the ultimate narrative here. Well, and he played in Wisconsin too. Like he understands it's his home away from home. Right. He understands the Old power. Right. <laughs> Green Bay has a mystique, right? Because the city owns the team. There's not a lot of people. The majority of the people who live there, 180,000 people live there, 100,000 people are going to the game. So the the mass majority of the people in Green Bay are Green Bay Packer fans, investors, owners. So this is a big, big stage for him, and it's a big opportunity. And I think Russell, more than anyone in the league potentially, understands those opportunities in those moments and why he needs to step up in those moments. And we've seen from Russell Wilson when he hears that outside noise, he's not one to respond to it publicly, but I think he's really good at internalizing that and letting it burn within and just kind of saying, you know what, this is what they think about me. I'm not going to let them get to me, but I'm going to get to them and do my thing. I'm going to prove it. I don't have to talk about it. I'll just be about it. I'll show you uh, on Sunday what I'm all about. Well, we are going to be discussing this all hour. We also have a very special guest on the show today. Mina Kimes is going to join us. Someone who's very familiar with the history, the rivalry of these two teams. We're going to ask her about her favorite moment. Big game, big guest. Yeah, Yeah, right? And then also about how these two teams match up as well. We mentioned the pretender comment. Both of these teams have maybe overachieved past what people thought they would. So we'll dig into that all this hour. There's also some local news we have to get to. So without further ado, let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Green Bay, here we come. Yes, it's going to be a balmy, uh, what, 20 degrees maybe tomorrow, a highs of 20 degrees tomorrow, but relatively mild for a Sunday in Green Bay. Seahawks last weekend beat the Eagles 17-9 for the second time this season. They advanced to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and face off against the number two seeded Packers. They have spent the week, all of last week, resting up on bye. And unlike the Hawks, coming to this matchup relatively healthy. The Hawks, meanwhile, a little banged up, and we'll get into the injuries a little later on. But things that make this game in particular intriguing, besides the history, besides these two quarterbacks being two of the best, 
Both teams won an absurd amount of close games in 2019. The Packers were 8-1 and in games decided by 8 points or fewer. Seattle has 11 wins in that category. Also, the Hawks' O-line pretty banged up and Green Bay's D-line, the Smith brothers, the Super Smith brothers, pretty unforgiving. Historically, Russ has not played his best games against the Packers and the Hawks made him more than ever. So really, I think this all adds up to be one of the, or maybe the most intriguing matchup of this weekend. Is Green Bay Seattle's de facto rival? We'll also explore that thought at 9.15 a.m. Number two. Well, the long-awaited question of who's going to be UW's next offensive coordinator, that has finally been answered. John Donovan, he'll take over from Bush Hamden as the Huskies' new offensive coordinator. Who? Yeah, what? John Donovan. Oh, just John Don. Yeah, Don Juan, John Don. Wait, the Showtime show? Yeah. No, Ray Donovan. Donovan. Oh, no. Ray Donovan. That's Ray Donovan. <laughs> Donovan That's McNabb. Oh. No, John Donovan. Oh. He's taken over for Bush Hamden. He comes from the NFL where he's worked as an assistant with Jacksonville for the previous four seasons, known for their high-scoring offense. Before that, Donovan spent four seasons as James Franklin's offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt and Penn State. Uh, very head-scratching move as he's very anonymous, kind of wondering how what Jimmy Lake sees in him. Uh, and then also on the hardwood, the Dogs suffering a major blow to their roster. The starting point guard, Quade Green, was ruled academically ineligible for the winter quarter. Green could possibly return in time for the Pac-12 and NCAA tournament if UW makes it that far or if Green chooses to remain enrolled at UW. The Huskies could have used Green services in their loss to Stanford on Thursday night. They will look to get back against Cal tonight at 5 p.m. down in Berkeley. Number three. Well, Cook fans, we've stepped into the unknown. Mike Leach has left the Washington State University for Mississippi State University and the SEC. Bit of a bittersweet loss for a lot of Cook fans as a coach who brought a lot of life back to the program leaves after a down year, a 6-7 and seven year. He leaves the program, though, 55 wins, six bowl games, two bowl wins, one Apple Cup, and zero you-know-what's given. (laughs) Who will be the next head coach at Wazoo? A few names being floated around, some weird, some strange, but the one that makes the most sense and seems to be talked about the most so far has been former defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, currently at the University of Oklahoma. Will he consider a return back to the Palouse, or will they try and go in a different direction? We'll have some more discussion on potential names, some names I'd be interested in as a Coug fan. We'll get into that at 945. But yeah, just an exciting and unknown time here for Coug fans as Mike Leach has now left the team. And for the past eight years, they've been comfortable with uh, with Coach Leach, but now get to figure out who they really are. I'm excited for it. But uh, Coaching search begins. Yes. We'll discuss more on that 9.45 a.m. this morning as well. You can text in your thoughts. There have been a lot of theories floating out around there about about who should fill that role or who will fill that role. Also, some honorable mentions on our list today. Jadevian Clowney will not be fined for his hit on Carson Wentz. You hear that, Philly? Angering many a Philly fan. God. I mean, yeah. Hashtag but Clowney. Yeah, that was the number one trend uh, locally here in Seattle because I think some B- Buffalo Bills player got fined for – uh, a cutback block, and everybody's like, oh, this guy got fined, but Clowney didn't. Well, the NFL, first off, they didn't rule that it was a penalty in the game, and the NFL, looking back at the tape, was like, yeah, not a penalty. With not ample time. Over. There was barely reaction from any players within the game. There was like, Bill Barnwell mentioned that last week, that there was really only like one of his players that even said, hey, 
and and he barely put up a fight about it. And then he played five more plays after that, and nobody nobody from concussion protocol checked him out of the NFL. So there's just a lot of factors here. I think if the result was different, people wouldn't have such a problem with what happened. But because he got knocked out of the game in that in that way, well, heroically, he heroically yes, stepped reported. away from the game. Well, it, it's <laughs> funny how people are like, if Carson wins is healthy, there's a different outcome to that game. No, because the Seahawks played the Eagles earlier in the season with Carson Wentz as quarterback, and it was the exact same score. And to be honest, just with the eye test, if you were watching that game at all, did you see the Eagles moving the ball better with Wentz or with McCown? It felt like McCown was moving the ball on the Seahawks' defense with ease. And he was doing it with one leg. One leg. His his muscles were straight off, off. his bone. Yeah, <laughs> playing with a hamstring injury throughout nope, that. Yeah. You. Also, on our list, Mariners and Mitch Hanniger avoid arbitration. They settle for are at $3 million for 2020. Good news for fans of Mitch Hanniger. And the Packers are looking for, you know, just your average 700 volunteers to shovel snow for 6 a.m. on Sunday. Just get down to the Lambeau Field. Hey, you know, the beauty of the Packers is they are a community-owned team. This will never happen yeah. again. You got to earn your team. will never allow it's it It's on to ownership. Happen, right? It's truly yeah. on ownership to figure <laughs> it out. And you know what? I, if I was in a, a town where I felt uh, community ownership in my sports team, I might be out there shoveling snow. 6 a.m., that's an early wake Bless you, Lydia. I, I don't know. Nah, I missed think, me with that. I think we're also <laughs> assuming that there's a ton of other things to do. Or, that's like, yeah, true. Maybe, it is Green Bay. Maybe yeah. sleep, but it might be kind of a party. You're out there with seven, 699 of your closest friends shoveling snow at Lambeau. Yeah, I mean, if you've listened to the station for the past hour, you understand the difficulties that you you see in Green Bay. So for me, Weather-wise. want nothing to do with it. Absolutely. Keep me at home. Well, we'll stay warm here in this uh, nice 70 degree degree indoor weather right now getting you ready for the Seahawks playoff game on Sunday up next we have to get into these two quarterbacks Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson what has made this matchup this duo so fun to watch over or the past couple of years and who has a better chance at rewriting part of their narrative on Sunday it's next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, Taylor Jacobs here for you all morning up until noon. Getting you ready for the divisional round this weekend. We get some exciting football later today. We get the Seahawks tomorrow, 3.40 p.m. kickoff believe and last the game yeah and the national championship on monday for real this time not a taylor <laughs> scheduled monday this actual monday there will be a national championship game tomorrow in the morning we get to watch deshaun watson and patrick mahomes sort of the next generation of quarterbacks a, a duel that a lot of people want to see and then later in the day we get aaron Rodgers and russell wilson two quarterbacks that maybe just slightly before them in terms of Two of the best in the business, two of the most fun, and two of the most distinct personalities, I want to say. What about these two quarterbacks have made them, and maybe also a little bit of a rivalry develop over the past decade, have been so fun to watch for you guys? I think just their physical capabilities. Russell Wilson, his his ability to extend plays, his arm throwing deep balls. They're both actually kind of similar quarterbacks in how often they do chuck it deep and how they can extend plays with their legs. Rodgers, not so much anymore, but when he was younger, he was a guy that could run for 400, 500 yards in a season. And both of these guys have played in so many big games in their careers. Both have a Super Bowl title under their belt. But to me, it's just 
they are two of the most fun quarterbacks to watch play. The, Tom Brady, like, yeah, he's accomplished a ton of stuff, but his style of play, very, like, methodical, very, you know, it's not going to pop off the screen the way these two guys do. And to me, I think that's been the most fun thing about watching these two guys duel over the years is just the the crazy throws that they make and, and the plays that just leave you saying, wow. Yeah, and, and I think you hit it right on the head there, that they are they're built differently, but they are so much the same. And that take, for example, their deep balls and, and how that's one of the most exciting plays for a quarterback, right? Heaving it up there and letting your receiver do something and being able to put it down the field with accuracy on the spot. They're the two best in the game at doing that, and I think that's so exciting to see. And when they connect with their receivers downfield, it just creates such a big play and such a big swing of momentum. And both of them being able to to do it in the fourth quarter and come back on teams and to never be out of a game as long as they have a chance at the end of the game to touch the ball, that they're always in the game. So they've just been, for the past almost decade, they've been so exciting to, to watch grow and evolve into the the head of the NFL quarterback class. Rodgers has more individual accolades to his name. He's also been in the league longer, but for any reason, we, we in Seattle might be living in our bubble, but we've advocated for Russell to win awards at different times, and we can make that case a different day. Anyway, Aaron Rodgers has been recognized more as an individual. They both have one Super Bowl win to their name. They both have won nine playoff games in which they've played, and they both have an opportunity to take their team to the next level. They're also, in my mind, in different places in their career. Russell, his narrative is that he hasn't played well against Green Bay historically. He's had some of his worst games. Also, the second biggest blowout in Pete Carroll's tenure has come against this team. So his opportunity to rewrite his narrative and play well against this team is also in a different spot of Aaron Rodgers, who is, I would say his narrative is now, can he be the same Aaron Rodgers? His numbers are declining. Can he win another big game? Who has the better opportunity to rewrite some of their story this weekend? Well, I think it's Russell, because I think right now at this point in his career, Russell's at a better spot. If you think about it as the hill, right? Russell's at the top. He's on the plateau right now, that we are seeing Russell in his peak form. And that Aaron is... On the slope down. Where he is on the slope down, I think, is the debate. But this is the decrescendo into the end of his career where he's not putting up the gaudy numbers like 5,000. He's only putting up gaudy numbers like 4,000 yards per season. So, again, where he is on the decline is is the debate currently. But, again, I think he is on the way down, and he's starting to ramp his career down. And that, I think that just opens the door for Russell to truly prove that he's at the top and can be above Aaron in this, I mean, in this matchup. As Ryan Cabrera once sang, on the way down. On and the way yeah. down. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, he's 36 years old. How many quarterbacks can we think of off the top of our heads that have seen their play increase past the age of 36? Maybe you can count them on one hand. And Aaron Rodgers right now, I think Lewis Riddick of ESPN, he tweeted out these stats a couple days ago, just looking at the Packers passing game and how it has been very inefficient in comparison to the rest of the teams in the playoffs. Green Bay has the lowest passing yards per play ranking of any playoff team, 17th in the NFL. So they're a pretty mid-level team when it comes to getting efficient yardage through their passing game. And also, Aaron Rodgers has the lowest completion percentage above expectation of any playoff quarterback, 25th in the NFL. So he's not making those wow throws that he used to make at 
you know, at a level that we're used to seeing him do. And he actually ranks above Jameis Winston in bad balls thrown this season, which is remarkable if you think about it because Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions this year. And Rodgers only threw four. So it's like, are Rodgers' balls that he's throwing so bad that the defense can't even get to him? So the the offensive DO, DVOA for the Packers, especially to start the season, was a lot better. They, since the bye, sort of taken a little bit of a hit but especially in their offensive pass DVOA. So Aaron Rodgers started off the season great this year, but towards towards the second half, they really relied on Aaron Jones and that run game. Granted, it's Aaron Jones, and he's really good. But I guess my follow-up question to that, because you're talking about the QB specifically, but I'm talking about the whole team. Who has the better opportunity to rewrite their narrative with also the pieces that they have around them? Because Aaron Rodgers probably has more in his arsenal when it comes to their defensive front and like the rest of the team helping him out. But Russell kind of has to be otherworldly for the Seahawks to win, right? Yeah, and we saw that against the Eagles. He was otherworldly and got Seattle a victory. I think the team that has the biggest opportunity to rewrite their narrative is Seattle. And you look at just how people have kind of discounted them along the way at every single point because of the close win margins that they've had. Well, it's also, in the playoffs, you're only going to play close games. Very rarely do you get blowouts in this time of year. And 11 wins this season have come by less than, or one score or less. Eight points it, or fewer, and then eight for the Packers, and, so both these teams. And the Seahawks are also 8-1 and one on the road. Now, you gotta get you got to have some luck to go 8-1 and one on the road, but also there comes a point where a trend also becomes sort of concrete. And I think the Seahawks on the road have been just they that is the, that is the best version of themselves this season is backs against the wall going into a hostile environment and there may not be a more hostile environment than Green Bay in January in the snow with a hundred thousand people that you know have been shoveling snow in the morning so they're angry <laughs> they're cranky mm-hmm. they've been trying to get to Lambeau Field for you know days now and I think this is is setting up nicely for Seattle. And if you put these games, I think, in a vacuum, right, and you analyze them that way, Packers win and they move on to potentially play the Niners. There is a little bit of history there, but not as much as you would on the other side if you had the Seahawks take on um, the Niners. Then you have the Seahawks, if the Vikings win, could host that game. More on the line. More on the line. Green Bay hosting Minnesota, you get it twice a year. This would be the third time. And Green Bay trounced Minnesota both times. Correct. So not as much fun Not as there. much flame no. and fire in that rivalry this year. Great. Uh, granted, they have been rivals for a long, long time, and I don't want to belittle that. But this year specifically, again, in this sort of vacuum that we're looking at these games at, it just feels like when you look at it and you go back and forth, Seattle has more of the big storylines of what could be with this victory, what can be with this victory. So what you're saying is if you're a football fan, if you're an Mm. NFL fan, Mm. you should want the Seahawks to win this weekend because the storylines are better. Yeah, I think it just sets up a a, a potential just you get the potential Seahawks Niners NFC championship again. Just uh, one of the matchups of the decade in the NFC Championship again. like With Sherm on the other side of the ball. Or you're playing a game in one of the most raucous atmospheres in front of the craziest fans in the NFL. Another rematch of a great game that happened earlier this year. It, it just feels like everything, if you're a casual NFL fan, the Seattle victory 
is is a better storyline than the Green Bay victory. We'll ask this of Mina Kimes, too, later. She's going to join us at 11 a.m. this morning, so keep it tuned here. But up next on Seattle Sports Saturday, the blueprint for how the Seahawks can beat the Packers. It's next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. I kind of don't want to talk over the song. Mm. Just getting me pumped up for tomorrow. Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, Taylor Jacobs in studio with you all morning, getting you ready for the playoff game. We were talking about pump-up songs yesterday on Danny and Gallant. And mm. yeah. Do you guys have a go-to? Oh, man. Maybe one that you're going to listen to before this game. I have, like, a bunch of random ones. Like, you guys have mentioned the Queen and, and yeah. Europe and, like, all of those ones. Danny's choice. Danny's yeah. was We Will Rock You. There are some other Queen songs I, I like, like Don't Stop Me Now. Mm-hmm. They're great songs. But I also like some weird stuff like French Montana. Pop that. Oh, Ooh. nice. A little bit more inappropriate. But, but high hype octane. Up. Yeah. Ali Boumaye. By oh, the by game, the game? That's yes. a good another one. great one. Um, I mean, there's some action Bronson songs in there. There's just a lot of weird rap that I, I also like, like that gets these me haters up. can't hold me mm-hmm. back. That's true. Rick it's Ross, classic Seahawks uh, as well. If you've got a go-to pump-up song uh, that we could add to our playlist yes. for tomorrow's game, please text it in seven ten seven ten to the Coors Light text line. It is there for you. But in the meantime. Not just the pump up that matters, it's the game itself. How do the Seahawks beat the Packers on Sunday in arguably the most hostile road environment in the National Football League? Do you guys have a blueprint or at least something you can toss on our list of how they go about doing this? Well, for me, I look at it right now, and it's very similar to the way in which they faced the Eagles, and it's the deep ball. And the Packers, not so good at stopping outside deep balls. Um, I think they're also not so good at stopping the run either. I think they're kind of in the middle of the road. When it comes to rush defense, despite the fact that they've got the Smith brothers, who, in addition to making milk, can also (laughs) rush the passer uh, in a tremendous way, but they leave a little to be desired when it comes to stopping the run. Those two things, I think, work very well in Seattle's favor. And I don't think the Seahawks need to bang their head and try to get Travis Homer or, as Pete has mentioned multiple times this week, try to get Marshawn Lynch going. I don't think that you necessarily need to run the ball more if you think that it's there against the Packers, but take what they give you and then also don't forget about that passing game because you've got, in my mind, the best quarterback standing right now. And you've also got the hottest receiver in DK Metcalf, who was just an absolute man child. And then there's that guy named Tyler Lockett, who also had a thousand yard season this year. All those things combining for me, I think it gives Seattle a, a nice. Nice blueprint to work with offensively against Green Bay's defense. I like it. Yeah. Stopping Aaron Jones seems like number one on their list, and he's also relatively involved in their pass game as well. Tay, what is on your list of things that must be done on Sunday? Yeah, to me, and look, you could probably have said this every single game from week one, but the defensive line has to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, Rodgers holds onto the ball for an average of 2.88 seconds, this season's sixth highest in the NFL. So 
The reason why he's doing that is he's trying to give his receivers more time to get open, for them to break off the routes, to, to essentially make something for themselves as, as soon as the play sort of dissolves. Um, so for me, you got a guy like Aaron Rodgers who's able to hit open receivers. Again, 49.6% of his passes were to open receivers, receivers with three-plus yards of space between them and the defender. So he can find the open receivers. So get that pressure on him. Get Clowney going. Get uh, Green going. Get these guys on that front line going. If Collier even is active, try and get him <laughs> acclimated and somewhat going. So get that pressure on Rodgers. Make him uncomfortable. Make him check down. Make those big plays impossible for him to achieve and really contain him. And that way you can get him off the field and keep that offense off the field because this Green Bay Packer team isn't as dangerous when Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, A.A. rounds, are sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. And we saw, in if you watch that Niners-Green Bay game, that's immediately how they changed the tune in that, in that game is right off the bat. They forced a fumble on Aaron Rodgers. They got to and put him under pressure and, and sort of took the wind out of any offensive sails that they got going there in that game. So, yeah, if you are able to get to him, now this is a pretty decent offensive line that Green Bay has, but uh, I don't know. I think there could be some unsung heroes on that defensive line. Puna Ford hero game, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But we do have some updates from the injury report, which might affect some of the things that we're saying today. So I want to make sure we get you updated on that. Mike Upati is doubtful for Sunday. Dwayne Brown and George Fant, Pete Carroll said, are going to be a game-time decision. So protecting Russell Wilson going to be up on my list of things that you have to do as well. And last week, only one sack, but Russ took some pretty hard hits. He did. He, he did. 11 quarterback hits in total he took against the Eagles. Uh, only the one sack, so that was the only time they were able to get him down. But, I mean, you want to keep him upright. Those 11 hits, those accumulate over time. And that's not going to be something, I think, to keep Russ clean, I think that's going to be very important for this offensive line. And you mentioned Brown and Fant getting listed as questionable, likely going to be game-time decisions. That's a step up from where they were at the beginning of this week because they didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. So to see them only be listed as questionable you know, the day before a game, that's, I think that's an encouraging sign to me. And I know Jake Heaps yesterday uh, mentioned he thinks Dwayne Brown is going to play. He's such a competitor. He's such yes. a fighter. I got to believe that he wants in this game, and it's only a matter of is this going to be okay yeah. for yeah. him to go? No, if he physically is able to get out there, the the other offensive linemen and offensive players look up to to Dwayne Brown as a leader and as a captain on this team. So you can't measure the emotional support that he could bring to this team and stability he could bring to this offense just by playing, not even at 100%, but just by being out there. Yeah, Brown's playing through the meniscus repair and yep. also – He's had the bicep injury he's been dealing with all season long. I mean, the fact that he is even a possibility as a game-time decision is just a testament to his toughness. Um, the, the Packers, though, you mentioned, Lydia, that they just don't turn the ball over at all. Uh, not often. And Seattle's defense has not been able to generate a turnover in their last two games. Uh, James Jones talked about what Seattle can't do against the Packers in order for them to get, get a victory? Well, first and foremost, the one thing they can't do is, is, is turn the football over. Uh, if you turn the football over 
and you give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers at home, I mean that that's not that's nothing you want to do. And the next thing you they they must do is, is stop the run. If they don't stop the run and you force the Packers to be balanced with a special quarterback back there like Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a long day for the Seattle Seahawks. But absolutely can't do on the road, especially because you don't have that home crowd behind you. You cannot turn the football over if you want to have a chance to win this ball game. Because if you turn the ball over, you got to get that back somewhere. You got to force a turnover somewhere along the way. And the Packers, they do such a good job of protecting the football. Both teams tied for sec or third, by the way, in turnover differentials. So both teams have been good this year. But you mentioned Seahawks coming a little earlier in the year. They were doing really well at this. The Packers had more of a slow start to it and really have come on in takeaways or turnovers, uh, getting those on defense lately. And you just can't give up possessions if you're no. going up against Aaron Rodgers, even if he's not peak Aaron Rodgers. And one thing they won't be able to lean on is the referee crew. Cleet Blakeman and his crew going to be doing this one, the second fewest flags per game mm. thrown. So, And actually the fewest number of flags for defensive holding, illegal contact, and pass interference. I think it's funny how last week we mentioned how it was Sean. We're the officials. Yeah, we're the ref show. Yeah, we're going to break it down, every flag, every whistle, right here, (laughs) Seattle Sports Saturday. I think it's interesting, though, how last week we mentioned Sean Smith's crew had thrown the most flags for unnecessary roughness (laughs) in the year. And there wasn't a call on Genevieve Clowney. No, but then. That should tell you something. That should tell you even more that that wasn't a flag. Yes. Because these guys are flag throwers, and they still didn't even throw the flag. <laughs> uh, one other interesting note I did want to mention really quickly. If your pass protection can hold up all right, which Pete Carroll mentioned after that Eagles game, against a pretty uh, intimidating front there in, yeah. in Philadelphia, Fletcher Cox, just a monster. But their pass pro actually held up pretty pretty well. And if it can do it again, uh, the Packers have struggled against big Wide receivers this year, big receivers. So anybody over six two, they have had have had the biggest days against them, and that means I think DK Metcalf is in for a big day today. Of course, you still have to respect Tyler Lockett, and and that debate over who is the number one and who is the number two receiver will keep them on their toes. But DK Metcalf could have a huge day on Sunday, which could be great for the Hawks. Yeah, um, yeah. Just got to believe in number three and his ability to get the ball to those receivers, and even people like Jacob Hollister and Luke Wilson could potentially be red zone targets and potentially add another wrinkle to this offense um, to help open it up for DK and Tyler and the other guys. Now, what about Green Bay's offense or or just Green Bay in general? You mentioned Aaron Jones and how effective he's been on the on the ground this season. Is there anything about the Packers that gets you guys, you know, that, that really kind of raises your eyebrows and says, the Seahawks, you know, don't put somebody on this guy. It could be a long day. I mean, Devontae Adams is always a threat, but I think if they play that short yardage game, that they'll be able to move down the field. That's been a struggle for the Seahawks, but that's their in their bend, don't break philosophy. They also, last week, were really great in the red zone. So if they're able to replicate that, I mean, I I don't have a problem with that, being that bend and don't break. Yeah, for me, it's Zadarius Smith looking at uh, what he can do to that offensive line. What will this offensive line look like when they take the field? Who will be in the five on the field? You know, will there be any points of weakness? Last week it looked pretty good. You saw Jamarco Jones step up, and he looked great there. So what is the the step back if they are playing backups, if any? And, you know, will the, the stars on the Packers' defense be able to exploit that sort of interior offensive line and the potential weaknesses that could be there? 
Anything on your uh, worry list there, C. Raj, for, uh, for the Packers offense? Packers offensively, I just don't don't let Aaron Rodgers get comfortable. We saw Trey Flowers have issues in coverage against the Eagles last week. He came up with that pass interference penalty. Uh, that, to me, is just, I mean, yeah, Aaron Rodgers may not be peak Aaron Rodgers, but you, you can't forget about what he has done in his career, uh, especially at home and especially to the Seahawks because he's undefeated against the Seahawks at Lambeau Field. Uh, don't let him get comfortable. Put pressure on him uh, and, and get that really, bad body language going. Yeah, all right, yeah, get him pouty, uh, get him, you know, frustratingly unstrapping his chin strap, chin strap, his little tiny one, throwing Microsoft's, you know, tablets all over the yeah. place. Yeah, angry Aaron get Rodgers. Get out of my face, <laughs> a- a- Ron. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, we will be discussing more on that game coming up, and we'll also talk to Mina Kimes at eleven a.m. about it. But up next on Seattle Sports Saturday. It has been a year of change here in Washington State. If you are a Pac-12 fan, a fan of college football here, and that continues, the Pirate is flying south. We'll explain. It's next on Seattle Sports Saturday, next on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. The Pirate is leaving Pullman after eight seasons. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, Taylor Jacobs hanging out with you. We got a Coog in the house. He yes. might have a few thoughts on this, but mm. the news nope. coming down this week. No thoughts. That Mike <laughs> Leach would be leaving Washington State as head football coach and heading on down to the SEC to try his lot there with Mississippi State. Taylor, when you first heard the news, what was your initial reaction? Um... I was excited. I think the Cougs had hit the ceiling with Mike Leach, and I mean that with all due respect. Let me preface this by saying I went to school at Wazoo when they were at their absolute worst, that I suffered through those years in person, and that I understand what Mike Leach means to the Cougs because I saw firsthand how bad they were, and then I got to see firsthand how good they could be. And I think... This news really excited me from the fact that the Cougs can go out now and and find the person that they want, the next guy to be the coach of this team, and they don't have to do it. They didn't have to fire Leach. There wasn't any sort of incident where he had to leave on bad terms. He left on his own decision. We didn't force him out. There was all of these things. It was just a perfect breakup if you could have that and it just feels like now is a really exciting time because the possibility of taking the next step forward and the possibility of potentially being able to win that last game in the year and go on to the Pac-12 championship and play for a shot at a bigger bowl game those are all things that, that excite me because in this day and age in the internet age Location doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Pullman, Washington is. If you look around the landscape of college football, the cities don't dictate the reason why they're doing well. Clemson isn't a big city. It's not the reason why Clemson has figured it out. It's because Dabo Sweeney came in with a plan, found the players that he wanted to find, and has been able to to go out there and execute. And I think the Cougs need to do something like that. They need to find a young, exciting coach whether or not it's an air raid offense or not, if it is, it'll be a less kind of big step back that you may see. But I'm just excited for the possibility of a young coach for the next five to eight years being at Wazoo, bringing a new system in. 
in a new identity and potentially helping those Cougs take the next step forward because they can. And I think the when you get comfortable being good, it prevents you from being great. And I think the Cougs have shown us that they can be great, even with the players they can recruit. They've won 11 games. Imagine if they had beat that dog team last year with Gardner Minshew, what this Coug team could have done and gone on to do, what it would have looked like. So they're right there. They're knocking. And I'm saying I'm glad the Cougs decided to open the door and see who's there. Eight years is a long time to spend in one place in the college football world, in the coaching world, whether it be professional or collegiate. When you look at Mike Leach's legacy, does it come with, you know, the yeah, but yeah, but he wasn't able to beat Chris Peterson. Yeah, but we never won a conference title. Or is it, you know, the air raid was just this thing that, you know, was crazy to watch for the time that he was here and they won 11 games. They won an Alamo bowl. They, you know, Gardner Minshew was a Heisman trophy candidate for a good portion of the 2018 season. When you look back at what Leach accomplished in Pullman, does it come with that yeah, but asterisk, or, or is it something that is just kind of a footnote? I think it, look, I think it should. I think it should come with the yeah, but, but also I don't think it should be as big. And look, I'm a big Leach criticizer. Uh, I have been for a while in just the way they haven't been able to get it done in the Apple Cup. They haven't adjusted. And Mike Leach even talked, or Mike Leach, uh, Ryan Leaf talked about how the Cougs are in this better spot. And, oh, you have the audio here. For the longest time, Washington State wasn't getting on TV, wasn't getting the notoriety because their play wasn't doing it. Oh, they were playing well under Mike Leach, but then it was him. Like like his quotes, his sound bites. That type of thing got us on the platform, especially the ESPN platform, that allowed for people to realize what Washington State was doing. So they'll lose that. I do think what he set in place, the foundation, the new facilities, the identity of what Washington State football is now – he definitely left it in a better place than what he took when he, when he took over. So to me, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. And but I think when we're looking at this, and we have revision, revisionist history, and whether if you're a true fan, you have to have that yeah, but you tr- you just honestly do with Mike Leach. He couldn't get it done in the Apple Cup, and it and it truly felt like it was only because he didn't adjust, especially this year. The fact that Max Borgie was not the man in this game was extremely disappointing. And it felt like that was on Leach. And you look at his bowls success, right? Getting to six bowls, but he's two and four in the bowl game. So you you can't overlook his success. He has been successful. He's done so much for this team and he's left them in a better spot. Yeah, but he has done some of these things that, you know, have left the scratching our head. It seems like there's some parallels to the Chris Peterson news, not in the way that it was delivered, because the Chris Peterson thing sort of took a lot of people by surprise. You mentioned, Taylor, this didn't seem like it took you by as much surprise because you've heard these rumors before. Yeah, I mean, you heard it two years ago with the Tennessee job. You heard it earlier this year. And I mean, whether that was just by his agent and to get. Uh, you know, the extension or whatever, either way, this didn't come as a total surprise to me, whereas Chris Peterson was more out of the blue. But I think that there's some nice parallels between what they were able to do for their school is unprecedented and what they did for the program or how they took it out of a bad place and brought it to a better place. But that extra step for both of these coaches, it just wasn't there, either because of their system or because they – in Chris Peterson's case, was 
just, I don't know, too stressed out, too, it was too much for him. So I think now both programs have an opportunity to get that next level elite, and the Apple Cup just got a lot more interesting. What's weird to me is that Mike Leach, in the three places that he's been a head coach at, he really hasn't gone to a better situation than the one he was already at. Lubbock, Texas, not an easy place to win at, at Texas Tech in the Big 12. They're not uh, a routine contender in that conference. Washington State, a tough place to win at, not necessarily in contention for conference crowns year after year. Mississippi State is the worst program in the SEC West, which is, you know, that's not, it's not as bad as, say, inheriting a one-win team, but you look at just going up against Auburn, Alabama, and LSU every single year. And then you've also got Ole Miss in that division, too. Um, and then also in the SEC East, you have Georgia and Florida. Like, it doesn't it doesn't let up. I don't know if this is a better spot to be in if Leach wants to stack wins than where he was at at Washington State. Now, if he does win eight, nine games a year at Mississippi State, he's getting a street named after him. That's just how it is, but... I don't see how this is an improvement over what he had other than money-wise. Yeah, I think it's money and exposure, right? The SEC is just it's so mighty and it's so it's almost its own league, honestly. It's almost its own college football league. And I think for any coach that's the goal, right? You want to be able to prove your skill at the highest level and to do it in college if you can win in the SEC, I think that proves that you are a good college coach. Now, Curtis, I think he, you hit it again right on the head that he can win those eight to nine games in a year in the SEC, but in that same year, he will lose an unexpected game that he shouldn't lose. He will beat an LSU and then lose to a Vandy. He will beat a Bama and then lose to a Kentucky. That's what you're going to get with Mike Leach in the SEC. And people in Mississippi State just need to prepare themselves for situations where it seems like an easy fix to, to run the ball, to win the game. It seems like an easy adjustment to make to take that next step, and he will not make it. He will stay true to his guns, and it will cost them games. It will win them games, and they will still be in sort of this good, not great field. And I'm excited to see what the – again, it's completely unknown. We don't know what it's going to be. The Cougs could take a step back. They could take a step forward, but – the fact that we get to find out and we get to go through this is extremely intriguing to me. And if you're not willing to go for it, why are we playing? If you're not willing to take a chance to you win play it to all, win the game. if you're not willing to risk it for the that. biscuit, yeah. get out the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, the coaching search is on right now in Pullman. Uh, we've heard names floated around. If you have your pick, text in 710-710. Coors Light text line is there for you. But coming up next on Seattle Sports Saturday, Another big three for you this time. Just taking a look at the national scene. We've got the national championship game coming up ahead of that divisional round weekend with some pretty amazing matchups even before the Seahawks game. And then also, I mean, it wouldn't be an update without Twitter beef. That was pretty incredible last week. So it's all ahead for you in the big three right here on Seattle Sports Saturday.